Love Talk Radio.
for you or rune or look at some astrology and numerology themes for you for just a couple of minutes on the phone. I'll be doing one of those toward the end of this month, um, and you'll be able to call in then. But this is, uh, I'm going to do the live column read. I want to talk a little bit about this subject in detail. Uh, I definitely think I got a lot of good feedback from this column, which was no surprise to me. Uh, it was really, it, it was a very easy column to write. It, it had been building for a number of months. So let's start off by me reading this month's column, and then we'll go into some more detail about this. Uh, so this month's column, this month's snake oil, is called Coming Home to a Place I've Never Been Before. Music has always been a powerful influence in my life. It can often act as a powerful trigger for awareness or to shift my emotional state. I was doing some editing work a few months ago with Pandora, which is an internet radio station where you can program the types of music you specifically like on in the background. Even though I'd never programmed it to play any of the songs, Pandora decided to play a John Denver song I haven't heard in many, many years. The song was Rocky Mountain High. While listening to the song, I found myself feeling very emotional. A long-forgotten memory surfaced. I remembered being in the sixth grade and inviting a school friend over to the house. We weren't good friends, but I thought I should make an effort to make more friends from my elementary school. He brought John Denver's greatest hits with him, and we sat in my room and listened to the album on my record player. John Denver was, was very popular in the late 70s, although critics often panned his work and called him simplistic. Similar chart-topping artists like ABBA, Air Supply, and The Carpenters were very popular, but cool people pretended to hate it. But secretly, most of us really loved a lot of it. What struck me that's most profound was a line in the song Rocky Mountain High, where John Denver sings about his decision to move to Colorado Rockies at the age of 27. Quote, I'm coming home to a place I've never been before. He left yesterday behind him. You might say he was born again. You might say he found the key to every door. Both as an avid reader in my youth and now as a writer, I've always been impressed by a writer's ability to say so much in just a few words. The song is clearly an example of this type of talent. All of the most notable experiences in my life were connected to this idea of coming home to a place I've never been before. When I made the decision to move from New York to Arizona at the age of 24, I had never actually been to the state or to the West Coast at all. There were symbols and messages that were pulling me to it, though. When I flew out here for the first time in 1989, stepped off a plane, I was excited about discovering the fun of what Arizona had to offer. And I immediately felt comfortable here for some reason. A year later, I made the move. I had some real difficulties with a friend I brought with me, but quickly made new friends that helped me through those difficult times when I moved here. Even though I left a family and some extremely close friends behind that I would truly miss, I formed new supportive family rather quickly. I'd been doing many past life regressions and dream work to explore my past lifetimes in my early 20s. Many of the people I met in Arizona were people I saw in those regressions and dreams. I had come home to a place I've never been before. After moving from my apartment from apartment to apartment every two years for the first 12 years of my life in Arizona, I decided to buy my first home in 2003. I hired a realtor who was also a friend help me. We spent three weekends looking at condominium homes, 
we would pick up our Starbucks and hop in our car and check out three to five places each and every Saturday. There were two homes that could have worked for me. While I seriously considered them, they didn't feel completely right for mostly practical reasons. But when I first walked up the stairs of the condo I eventually bought, before I even went inside, I turned to my realtor on the stairs and said, I felt like I've walked up these stairs a million times. This is where I will live. Being a metaphysical person herself, she loved this, even though there were some difficult hurdles to overcome in buying in the buying process, I have now happily lived here for twelve years. All of my close friendships and intimate relationships have always felt like I was reuniting with people I already knew. The bodies, the nationalities, the sex, the age, and other elements may have been different this time, yet the sense that I already knew them was always there from the beginning. Whether it was past life connections, a future self bringing me to this point, dreams, deja vu, compatible astrology, or any other number of deeper reasons, the feeling of familiarity has always been a constant. My early work with past life studies often gave me insight before or after we met about our other connections. This has always added another important layer to my relationships. I once remember going to dinner with a close female friend when we were in our late 20s. We found ourselves spontaneously moving into a heated conversation at dinner that was a mild disagreement from two past selves who seemed to know each other in another time and another place, centuries ago where we were husband and wife. Even the room itself seemed to change to another time and place. She had never experienced something like this before, and it wasn't exactly a common occurrence for me either. We laughed about it afterwards and later realized why it was a better fit for us to be just good friends in this life. I have had people try to force friendships and relationships that didn't seem to fit at times in my life. There were a number of times when I tried to do this as well in my younger days. I've experienced this before with jobs and other significant aspects of life also. Yet there's a smoothness to events, to pets, people, that feel like coming home to a place we've never been before. They require no effort or struggle. When I heard Rocky Mountain High, I started to think about an extremely talented man whose music was called Simplistic. Someone who wrote something as profound as this at the age of 27 was clearly talented and insightful. The critics were wrong. That same night, I was flipping channels on television and came upon a PBS documentary about the life and death of John Denver. I caught it only 10 minutes into the two-hour special. We often try to shape events, and there are times when we need to be assertive. Yet the aspects of life that come so effortlessly to us are truly the most magical of all. Okay, so that was the column uh, that I put out in, in August. And, you know, it's funny because I actually started, I started writing this column uh, that the circumstance with the John Denver event probably occurred back in March. And I, I wrote a column, and it, I was talking astrologically about Neptune and some other influences and used that as a reference. And then uh, I wasn't really thrilled with that column, and I kind of put it to the side. And then last month I, I wrote this. I think I was sitting uh, having my oil changed, and I just popped this out uh, really quickly. It's always sort of interesting to observe that, that when you become a writer about how things can operate creatively. But it felt like a better fit when I wrote it from this perspective and, and in this way. But um, 
you know, uh, that's what, some of the things I want to kind of elaborate on that point about coming home to a place we've never been before. Um, I think, you know, the more we grow intuitively and spiritually, the more we are inclined to kind of see events from somewhat of a different perspective in that sense. And I, you know, uh, like, like, again, like I had mentioned in the piece, you know, there were times when I was trying to squeeze friendships or relationships or circumstances or things that I wanted in. Again, I did a lot of that more so when I was younger. I've certainly been on the receiving end of that. Uh, I've had that happen. You know, sometimes I have, you know, uh, sometimes when I work with clients, um, I, I get people that kind of really want to be my friend as well. And, and I, I already have a bunch of friends. And even though they're great people, um, there's just so many people I can I can I can have in a social circle and an experience that way. So I've gone through that a couple of times where people were trying to force sort of this friendship dynamic to operate when it really wasn't necessarily operating at that level. Um, and, and you know, and yet at another level, one of my closest friends was originally a client, uh, my, my my casino gambling buddy who I've been friends with for like said 16 years now. Um, she was a client initially, and she was adamant about kind of becoming friends. I was a little resistant. But even at the time when I met her, I had told her that. I had sensed uh, a familiarity about her. Um, and there was a past lifetime where I had been a teacher in Greece, and she was one of my students that had wanted to become friends with me, and the positioning was not possible. So in this lifetime, um, she was able to become my friend in a sense. And we have been good friends. She's definitely one of my best friends for many years. But again, there was a familiarity there in that sense that, that had come into play. And, you know, I think, um, I, you know, I, I think sometimes people will say that. They'll say, well, your life has been so magical. You've got these cool stories and these weird things that have happened. And yeah, there's a lot of them. And I often share these during uh, sessions when I talk with people and, and use that to help give them insight as well, too. But, um, you do also, you know, for all my listeners, you do also. You, you just, you know, I've been more inclined in this life to pay attention to that type of stuff. I'm just more aware of it. That it doesn't mean it's happening more for me than it is for other people. You know, uh, like, I, again, life can be pretty magical that way. If you think about it, you know, almost all the people that you've been closely involved with, whether marriage or relationships or close friendships or things like that, you probably got that feeling at some level, too, that there was something going on here, um, even beforehand. Um, uh, so uh, you probably did. And it's good to learn how to kind of tune into that sense because you, you don't have to necessarily know what the karma is or what the relationship was, or where this is coming from. But you often can get that familiarity, that sense at some level that there's something else kind of going on here. Now, here's another added part of this, because, you know, I, I've been getting a lot of this with, with clients lately. Quite a few people seem to be going through this process where they are uh, they're going through a relationship issue, or maybe they're going through a breakup, or they're, having, they're at odds with their mate or their partner, I've got a couple of clients right now that, you know, have been involved at different degrees without getting into detail about anybody's personal life, but in different degrees they were involved with someone who it felt very strongly like they would form a relationship with them. And there was definitely karma operating that way. And for some of them, it's not working out. In other words, it worked out for a while and it's becoming difficult and, again, without getting into a ton of detail about it. So what I've been getting a lot of lately is that quite a few people that have been sort of emailing me and saying, 
you know, it's not working out. We did a card reading three years ago, and the cards had said we would come together, and, and, and how come that's not happening, and how come this is going on? And one, I was so lovingly, I kind of understand why people will question things on that level, but, you know, for my clients... I was trying to tell people this. I get a lot of this kind of email chit-chat that goes on you know, after you have a session. I, I can't constantly check in with you 24-7 on everything. It's just not physically possible. I talk to too many people. But you know what's good about me is I do remember all those things. But And here's the point that I'm getting at. I think people have this idea in their head that when you meet someone and you're going to become friends or you get into an intimate one-on-one partnership or relationship with them, I think everyone's got this sort of idea that that means that this is for life. And the truth is, guys, not if you really look at this, some of your close friends, your relationships, your partnerships, listen, uh, for, for some of you, you, you may have been married for, you know, some people married for 40, 50 years. Some people have friendships that have gone for, for 30 years, 50 years, 60 years. But if you think about it in the larger picture, we've often had many people that have come in and out of our lives and haven't necessarily been permanent fixtures. Anybody who's worked different jobs at different points knows this. You often can form a close-knit family group and friendship connection with fellow employees or even like complexes if you lived in a neighborhood. But in often, in a lot of cases, when you move away and, and that changes, you may not be able to maintain that same level of friendship or connection, that doesn't invalidate its experience. So a, a relationship with someone uh, that's intimate and intense for two or three years may not necessarily maintain that intensity in that sense. I, I had a long-term relationship um, where I dated someone for two years and then we lived together for a year and then the relationship went sour. I wrote about this in, in my first book, Dirty Little Secrets, uh, available on Amazon on <laughs> my website. Uh, and uh, it's a great book. I wrote it 10 years ago, 11 years ago. It's still a really good book. So it's a lot about relationships, how people don't understand that. We had a wonderful relationship, but, you know, for about two years of it was wonderful, and the last year when we lived together was not so wonderful. There were good times, but it went sour fast. There was a lot of infidelity on my partner's part. Um, that said, um, we eventually broke up. We're not really even friends now. I have no animosity whatsoever. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally peaceful about it in that sense, but we did, it didn't make sense to continue on as friends. We're just in a different place. That doesn't invalidate the relationship. So for two years, we were happy. Two years, we really were in sync, and then we went a different way. So this is, you know, this is the thing I'm endlessly trying to explain this to people. If I do a card reading, for instance, and it says you're going to get together, often that will be true. But that, again, doesn't necessarily mean for life. So I think that... Um, we, we, I think we, for a lot of people, have to be more mature about that in that respect to understand that, that we, we do, we go in different directions. Not everything is permanent in that way. So, like, you know, I remember doing the, uh, this one particular client. Her situation is interesting, never mentioning her name by any means, so no one's going to know who this is in that sense, but she does play out an interesting paradigm here for uh, examination. This one client, um, she's married, and in kind of a, more of a friendship marriage. It's not an intimate one. She married years ago. She's in her mid-30s. And she met this gentleman a couple of years ago. They had a tremendous spark. He was single at the time. She was married. They got involved in an affair, kind of a long-distance thing, and it went back and forth. So about two years ago, she came for a session, and the card showed that the nine of cups came out the outcome, which was the wish fulfilled. 
and some type of growing relationship. So, and ultimately that is actually exactly what happened. The relationship grew, they got closer, um, but she never left her marriage. And then he ended up um, starting to date someone else, and now uh, they've been off and on with each other, but now he has cut her out after two years and isn't speaking to her because he really wants to make it work with her present relationship. Now, that doesn't invalidate that nine of cups being the happy outcome because it was a happy outcome. She had a period where she knew he loved her and vice versa. She felt uh, they were making some possible plans for the future. She was contemplating getting out of her marriage, so it was a happy period. But then it turned kind of sour and it turned kind of difficult. So, you know, so then I get these emails from her. Why didn't it go the way you said it was going to? <laughs> but it did, and then it changed. And I think we forget this in that sense that, Every experience is still valid at some level. There's no question in my mind that she has karma with this person, and that's where the draw comes from in that sense. And then I'm sure there's body type chemistry and other factors. But he is very cynical. He is very dark. She ended up revealing that he's always been difficult. Even when he did love her, he's kind of a little bit of a miserable pain in the ass in that sense. So this separation now and it not working out doesn't mean that it may not in the future. But in a lot of ways, it may just in a very real way be that They've gone different roads, or she at some levels has chosen um, to uh, realizing that in the long run she wouldn't be happy um, and vice versa. So different factors come into play. But again, I can't stress this point enough. That doesn't invalidate the experience or the connection. And the karma itself may have been potentially to be uh, ultimately rejected or to make a decision about choosing a different road for yourself as well, too. You know, I can read for people. I can pick up things. I can sense things. I'm good at this type of stuff. But ultimately, again, we create our own reality. And I cannot override somebody's karma. If somebody needs to go through something karmically, they're going to go through that. I couldn't override it if I wanted to, meaning I couldn't stop it or change it if I wanted to, and nor would I want to, because we always typically perceive karma as bad. But it's necessarily just part of our growth and our own evolution. Because some of the things we karmically pay for, so to speak, from other lifetimes, are also the very things that become the springboard for creative opportunities, talents, and abilities that we may end up showing and using later on because of that experience. So without getting into too much detail about karma, because I can go on about that in that sense, and I'll talk about more about that subject in the microclasses that I'm doing on, uh, through the the, the the radio show. If you haven't caught those, I've done a couple of Michael classes, and I will be doing some more of those. Um, uh, one more this month, and I'll probably do them, you know, every month or two. Uh, and those are all archived. You, you definitely want to catch that if you want to get more information about karma and um, understanding um, the Michael system, which really is just an amazing way of looking at our humanness and who we are, and, and it even gets into subjects <clears throat> which I'll be getting into soon, like uh, understanding the essence twin relationships, task companions, heart links, things that people often love to ask about are beautifully addressed in, in those teachings. So I will be getting to all of that. Again, all that's free, guys. I used to charge for those classes. I've just been doing them online uh, kind of pro bono in that way because I'd I like people to get that information. So check that out. You can go back and listen to the first, I think, three or four that I've done so far, and I catch up on the new ones as they come up. But uh, I, I love to talk about this subject of karma and, and helping people to understand it. So, um, and, and all the interesting dynamics of relationships that operate. 
but getting back, you know, I think in a very, in a very, very real way, um, uh, this whole piece and this whole article about coming home to a place I've never been before, to me, that's a very um, feminine energy, and I mean that in the best possible sense. I think male energy is more assertive and aggressive, uh, Mars energy, where feminine energy, Venus energy, is more is more passive in a positive way, meaning that you bring something to you at some level. So, like I had said in the piece, uh, there are times when in a very real way we do have to be assertive, we have to be aggressive, we have to go after something. But it is interesting when something pops into our space because at some level we've allowed it. And if you if you listen to the piece that I just uh, read, you'll see, like, again, uh, that, that one of the most obvious examples of that was when I, I, I found this condo. Um, it, it was a very literal thing. I, I walked up the stairs, and it was familiar to me, like almost overwhelmingly so, each curve, each turn. So, again, I don't know if I dreamed it. I don't know if a future self was that already had moved here, a future me was bringing me to it. What, you know, whatever the, whatever the energy was behind it, what was so magical about it was that I knew I was going to live here. And, and I didn't mention this so much in the piece, but I said, when I bought this condo, uh, again, it's the first home I had ever bought. I had rented when I first moved here for years. And I bought this place. Um, it was a big ordeal for me to have my finances looked at that way, to commit to something, Sagittarius and that sense of living somewhere for a while permanently um, as opposed to, you know, again, when you own, you know, the plus is you own. But the negative is every time something's wrong and you need to repair something, you've got to pay for it. When you live in an apartment, you make the call and the super comes and they got to fix the damn thing, you know. I've got, the, I got my bathroom pipe burst a few weeks ago, and I'm trying to get my bathroom remodeled. I've, I've dropped about $600 already, probably another 100 to go before it's finished. But it'll be nice and it'll be fixed. But, man, I just remember the days of living in an apartment for that reason is you didn't have to pay for it, you know. But anyway, I'm so happier that I bought this place. But there was a familiarity about it. But yet I went through some real ups and downs uh, in getting here. When I, when I, uh, I had a loan and I was set to move and I had my friends helping me load up a van and my realtor called me and she said, you can't move today. The, the the guy that owns the condo, um, the loan fell through. The bank dropped your loan, so he won't let it go through until there is a definitive loan. And I was like, uh, okay, I've loaded three quarters of everything I own onto a, a, a moving truck. I you know, so I remember walking over to uh, <laughs> the apartment complex and telling them I might have to stay here for a few more weeks. And they were like, no, you if you want, you could stay three more days, but. You have to be out by Tuesday. This is on a Friday uh, because though, your place has already been rented. So I remember kind of just pausing in the process and taking my friends over to you know kind of a bre- to a breakfast uh, to a lunch place and sitting at lunch and talking and being like, "Holy shit! I have nowhere to live. <laughs> I, I literally am going to be homeless." And I was like 35 years old. You know, it was, it was so bad it was comical, and I started to laugh. And my friends were like, "Man, you're taking this well." And I said, "You know what?" Sometimes things are just so ridiculous that you got to almost laugh at it. Otherwise, you're going to just cry. You know what I mean? And, and that's what it was. I did that weird Sagittarian thing, and I just found the whole thing so ridiculous and humorous. But I trusted that it would get resolved. And I, that night, I slept in the bed with an empty apartment, me and the cat, and I thought, you know, I practically thought, I guess I could possibly live with my sister in Scottsdale for a couple of months until I figure out, you know, how to get another home or I rent another apartment or, you know what I mean? And I just, you know, and then the next morning, 
my realtor called me and she said, Jim, I called different banks. I've got someone who will take a loan, but unfortunately it's going to be like a 10% interest loan, but at least they'll take the loan on. And I was like, do it. So I went and I signed all the paperwork on, on Saturday afternoon, and um, I, I ended up moving into this place anyway. So the reason I kind of want to share that story with you guys is because, hey, you know, even when you have a magical event and you meet someone, that doesn't mean it's going to not be without problems or tests along the way. I mean, God, I, I can't, I don't know if I could possibly suggest that more so. That's one of the things, like I said, that's a thing that, that's sometimes tough when dealing with clients. I think that so many people have this perception of this ideal of happy ever after, meaning that when you find the right home, you find the right mate, you find the right person, now it's peaceful. Now there's never going to be another problem again. Now it's just eternally easy in that sense. And God, guys, listen, uh, you know, nothing could be further from the truth. We, we live in a physical world. There are challenges. We get up in the mornings and we have flat tires sometimes. We have fights with our mate. We go through periods where we may break up and separate, and maybe we come back together, maybe we don't. These are, these are parts of life. You know, uh, I read a quote the other day, and I, I really have, have quoted this a number of times for obvious reasons because I think it's pretty powerful. But uh, the quote was that in life, um, challenge is inevitable, suffering is optional. And um, I love that. I probably even said that on another radio show before. I mean, we make a decision about what we suffer over in that sense. But we're going to have challenge from time to time. But that doesn't take away from the connectedness of where it came from and make it any less magical. And there is still sort of a, a beauty to really uh, coming into contact with a part of ourselves that allows ourselves to realize that we do fit into the universe, that if there's a problem or a difficulty, there's going to be a solution that's attached to that. But often we get so consumed with anguish over the difficulty itself that we um, have trouble allowing the solution to manifest in that way. Um, you know, uh, uh, there, there's a great quote from the room. In fact, I just had a client here, and I was talking about this subject. And let me read to you um, a quote from the uh, rune book that kind of triggers this, this idea. So um, it's a rune. Uh, the rune is called Kano. It means opening fire and a torch. Um, and and this is what this is just part of a quote from this rune, which is brilliant from the book by Ralph Blum. He says, "Recognize that while on one hand you are limited and dependent, on the other, you exist at a perfect center, where the harmonious and beneficent forces of the universe merge and radiate. You are that center. Simply put, if you're operating in the dark, there's now enough light to see that the patient on the operating table is yourself. So, you know, even with this, you know." I think that when I bought the home, and again, it was so magical, I found this place and all those other things, I think the reason I encountered some difficulty in a practical sense but still got here was, one, because I was meant to be live here for multiple reasons. I've been here for 12 years. People I've met, the things that have gone on here, it's a great home. I'm so very happy with it. Now I'm just paying for fixing it up because I haven't put a dime into it in 13, 12 years anyway. <laughs> so now I have to. Uh, but I have the money also. But I think the reason that I manifested such a difficult experience with buying it, the loan getting dropped out for a day and a half, and all the other jazz that I went through, because I did have a lot of fear about it. I had a lot of doubt. I had issues of self-worth about whether I could handle buying a home. I was questioning it. So I think I was fueling the experience energetically with fear. So it still worked out, which was beautiful. 
but I think it was rockier at some level because of that part of me that, that again, sort of created an element of Rocky. So when we look again at this idea of, on one hand, like he says, on one hand we're limited and dependent, another we exist at a perfect center. The thing is, and what I'm trying to get at is, we can, we can manifest and create things in our lives when we remove any of the blockades that we have about doing that. Um, you know, I, I've been uh, single for, for many, many years. I spent my 20s and most of my 30s being sort of a quote-unquote relationship junkie, always looking to be in some type of relationship. In fact, even before my 20s, I think my childhood was always had a best friend, a partner, son in the seventh house, cusp of the eighth house, and Sagittarius, so, uh, and a moon in Libra on top of it. If anyone knows the astrology, they can get that reference. Um, but in, in my 40s, uh, for the most part, I've been almost completely single. I mean, I've dated. But the reason I have is because I wanted to experience being single. I've been so relationship-oriented that I think I wanted to be alone. Um, again, I, I still dated and I still had occasional sexual encounters and things of nature to deal with that part of myself. But ultimately, I have not been in a committed relationship. And I could take the position of a victim and I didn't find the right mate where I can own the position of some part of me has chosen to experience this for my own reason. And it has been good at some levels. Now I'm thinking I might want to partner again. So we always create a reality. That's the point that I'm getting at here. But we can ultimately do it in a more magical way when we allow ourselves to perceive the reasons behind events. So when, when I mention that idea of feminine power and masculine power, feminine power uh, involves receptivity, the ability to allow things to unfold and come your way. But the fuel behind it is the ability to know you can create something. I mean, when we, when we look at even the way a female body is designed in that sense, uh, the whole menstrual cycle, the process of creation exists in a very physical, tangible way within a woman in that sense. And even when it isn't operating, before puberty and after menopause, the power of woman is the power to create the power to bring to, the power to use beauty, to use magnetism, to, to operate from that angle. And in no way is it less than the power of men and male energy. In no way is it more than. They're just two different sides of the <laughs> equation. So I know for me, you know, I've never struggled that much with the whole male-female energy issue, I think, in the way other people do. I see myself um, clearly as a mix of both male and, and female energy. I, again, I don't. That's not a struggle for me, in that sense. Um, you know, I've been told I'm reasonably pretty, especially for someone who's 50 years of age. Um, part of that is, you know, practical sense. I, I moisturize. I <laughs> I take care of myself. I if, if ear hair appears, it's gone. I trim. I moisturize. I take care of myself. I exercise four days a week. I mean, I'm, I'm probably aging well because of that. And then I also can say I have some very good genetics backing me, I guess, as well. And then, But another part of it is it's my belief system. I don't perceive aging the way other people do. I think that you can become prettier or handsomer with age in that sense, if that's what your focus is. But that to me is a very female thing in that sense. That's an element of me, again, that I don't question. I'm also, you know, very, very male in a lot of ways, uh, you know, and, and assertive and aggressive. When I want something, I tend to take it. I, I just changed a tire in 111 degree heat. So my pretty artist hands, well, I can get dirty if I need to. I have no problem with that. So the point I'm making is one isn't better than another.
different ways, and we have that balance and harmonious, and we're able to tap into our female, our female energy in that sense. We are able to see things unfold. We're able to bring things to us. We can allow ourselves to come home to a place we've never been before. We can allow that part of us to operate. You know, I ran a special this month. Um, if anybody gets my newsletter, you've seen it, where I do a reading with past life cards, showing people what different eras and places that they lived in in other lifetimes. Very cool session. I could do that by phone or in office. Um, and then usually when I use those cards, like it opens kind of this weird window in my own psyche where a lot of times I can see more detail about a life or lives that you might have had surrounding these places. And that's really interesting at a lot of levels because it helps you sort of complete that piece or that packaging of who you are as a person. And then I've got quite a few requests for past life regressions, which is something else I do in office as well here. So I ran a special about that for a reason because I think when I wrote this, it did have brought up all that kind of weird, I guess, past life stuff to me, which isn't so weird. I mean, I've just always known about things like that. Even when I was younger, uh, I I just did. I I often could see other lifetimes in myself and in other people and, and things like that. That was something I guess I was always able to do, so I still kind of am able to do that. I mean, you never know whether it's completely right or not. It just will fit if it fits and if it makes sense to that person. But, you know, so again, let me kind of wrap some of this up because we kind of looks like we're finishing up on some time here in, in, in a couple more minutes, but... What I kind of wanted to say about this is I think that um, we can get better about that idea of allowing events to come to us, one, by recognizing that we create our reality, and then by being willing to remove any blockades that we have toward the creation of that, and then um, focusing on creating that by putting it into play and then, again, allowing it to come. Um, I think, like I said, I've done that many, many times. Um, the, the, I loved being able to tie in the reference to John Denver to this whole subject because, like I had said in the piece, um, you know, I, I grew up, you know, I was born in 1964, so I, I grew up in the 70s and it's the early 80s as a kid. Uh, and I remember somewhat of the late 60s, but not very much of it because uh, I was too young. But I grew up in the 70s, so John Denver, I mean, you know, you couldn't turn on the damn radio with hearing John Denver. He was on a lot. And it's true, he was panned repeatedly. I, that I remember. I remember being sort of embarrassing to like John Denver. Like it was something that was kind of, you know, back in the day that said it was kind of gay, you know. I think gay now means something different. Usually it's become more complimentary. <laughs> Meaning having a sense of style, being well put together. I look at it a little differently as it was used then in those terms. But, uh, the uh, you know I remember that panning that went on and I liked a lot of his stuff too I just didn't really want to admit it because it was sort of countryish and I was from New York and it was a little queer and and it was kind of uplift nauseatingly uplifting you know but it, it was interesting like I said because I again I don't think I'd even heard the song in years and here I am doing some editing on something else and it came on in the background and I'm listening to this and I just got very emotional and I had ne- the, the 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 friend of mine. In the sixth grade, I remember his name. It was Joseph Cronin. Um, I invited him over, and uh, I had plenty of friends, but I didn't have friends in school. They were my friends that went to other schools in the neighborhood, some years younger than me or older than me. So I just thought, ah, i got to make friends, you know, more closer to home. So I invited him over. There was no connection between me and Joseph Cronin whatsoever. We, we never hung out again. He came over. We sat there, and we played John Denver. 
we sat in my room and we talked a little and then he kind of, I guess he kind of went home. I mean, I don't know. It wasn't, he wasn't any fun. But I remember that song particularly struck with me. So again, when I heard it, my mind zeroed in on that line, I'm coming home to a place I've never been before. And I guess that's what hit me. I thought about that and I said, here the critics are saying this guy is simplistic and he's, uh, you know, and cheesy and all these other things too. And I'm like, who the hell at 27 writes, I'm coming home to a place I've never been before. Damn, that's brilliant. You know, uh, you see a lot, if you listen to my radio shows, you talk to me, I do a lot of rune quotes, which is a Viking Oracle. But what I love about the runes, is not even just so much the runes themselves. I love the book that accompanies most rune sets, which is by Ralph Blum. Um, and, and, and he, he gives rune interpretations. And, and you know, every time you read this, and I've used these for years, the quotes that he uses, the lines that he says, it's just brilliant. I mean, it's almost otherworldly from where it necessarily comes from. Really profound, some of the things that he said, and, and I, that he says, and I, I quote it all the time for obvious reasons. And I think the same thing with John Denver. Um, you know, when he, he uses that reference and he talks about coming home to a place he'd never been before, we went to the Rocky Mountains. That's amazing. It's like, again, maybe he dreamed it. Maybe he knew this is where he was coming to in that sense. But he was a somewhat tortured soul because I think he really, when I looked, I saw the documentary that night, and that's true and literal. I had, this happened, you know, I heard the song. I started thinking about maybe writing about that at some level. It brought that emotion, that feeling back. And then, again, I was literally flipping channels at night in PBS Channel 8, and Phoenix had a documentary on the life and death of John Denver. Ten minutes in, I caught the show. Talk about the synchronicity of events. Like I said, I get a lot of that. But it was a very moving kind of a night for me in that sense, because I did. I felt that, you know, I think I made that connection at some level, too. Um, I, have a, I have a good amount of following on radio, uh, clients that see me, um, and uh, I've got about 1,500 people to get my column. And I'm very proud of my voice. I think I'm a good teacher. I think I'm a good writer. I think I'm I'm very helpful to people as a life coach in that sense. I have no doubt about that. But there's times when I think about reaching a larger audience. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are less talented than me that are more successful. But I also can look inside myself and say, at some level I'm creating this too because I think as successful as I want to be, I don't know if I want to be hugely successful in a way where I can't even walk down the street or have any type of uh, individuality in that sense. I think I'm kind of creating the perfect experience for myself, being reasonably successful in this way, and I hope my work will you know, still reach people even after I pass. And I think that's the case with John Denver in that way. Very talented man, left a beautiful legacy behind him in that respect. Okay, well, it looks like we're we're finishing up here. So I have to check the dates on this. I can't give you guys the exact dates um, because I don't think I have access to it at the moment. I have to switch over. But I am going to do another Michael class teaching this month. I want to try to squeeze in an astrology update as well. I have to see if I booked that. Um, but if not, I will do one this month or definitively in, in, in September, although I definitely it's a little more likely I'll do it in August. Okay, I just got to check my calendar. Uh, so thank you for joining me today. Uh, may you all come home to places you've never been before, even more than ever. I uh, hope I gave you some good food for thought. If you're not already uh, getting my monthly email column, uh, you know, uh, email me at venturasagityahoo.com. That information should be here. You can also get the information on my website at Um 
get a lot of good stuff coming with the column, and it's blind copied out, so no one will ever get your email address from me. You don't get a lot of any sales stuff from me. It's just a monthly column, and it's a good column, and I think you'll get a lot of in, uh, insight from it. So if you're not already doing that, uh, check into that. And if you're looking at any uh, personal services, go to the website, jimmentor.com. You can check all that out. Okay, guys. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, again, I'll be back either next week or the week after. You've got to check the calendar on that, and, uh, and we'll look forward to another broadcast. Everybody have an awesome day, and thanks for joining me here on uh, Stank All Radio. Appreciate your, uh, appreciate your, your uh, participation. Cheers.